Hey guys, you're listening to the Tasha Labs podcast, and we are three weeks into 2023, and there has been some signs of life in the crypto market and in other markets as well. So today, I figure it would be interesting to talk about some macro outlook for this year and uh, for the crypto market as well. And I will talk about some investment ideas, investment thesis that I've been thinking about. And again, none of this is investment advice, obviously. I'm telling you my personal opinions and uh, it's a free world. You do whatever you want with your money, okay? So, um, so basically, I wanna talk about three things. I wanna talk about the macro big picture for this year. And secondly, I wanna talk about the crypto market for this year in the context of the macro picture. And thirdly, some investment. Um, trends and themes okay so so first of all what is the macro picture right now so pop quiz <laughs> what is the 800 pound gorilla in the in the mark, macro world right now like what is the biggest uh, driving factor or any changes that compared to last year um, I'll give you I'll give you a sec to think about this okay but it's actually quite obvious it's China Okay. China is reopening, and uh, if you look at uh, uh, you know Asian stock market, for example, the Chinese market and uh, related East Asian market have been pumping a lot over, like since uh, in the in in over the past month, and actually longer than that. So that would be the biggest, uh, I would say, changes, right, or the shocks that's coming into the uh, global economy in 2023. I'm not saying there are no other shocks. Obviously, you know, we are humans, we cannot foresee future. There are always uh, unexpected shocks happening. But so far, as far as, uh, you know, we can see this is the biggest factor that is um, different from last year is China is reopening. And it's a freaking huge economy, right? So um, that's gonna bring a lot of changes and two things. Um, I, I'm paying attention to, okay, first of all, obviously, it's going to be the reopening is going to be a big economic growth driver, not just for China, but also for other Asian countries that rely on China, right? So especially the commodity exporters in, in Asia, and also the um, kind of tourism reliant countries in Asia. So those will be potential candidates to benefit from like China's uh, this year, like gross, um, will most likely outperform, I would say, right? Not just from the reopening, but also from like uh, the, um, the, the policy stance of the government has had a 180 change over the past uh, couple months, right? So they were like uh, zero COVID, zero COVID for a very, very long time. And now it's like a U-turn, right? And uh, for that type of economy, it's very centralized, the top-down kind of policy decision-making structure. Once the ship turns, it's just very hard to quickly turn the other way, which means once the government decides to start supporting the economy, we're going to be like opening the economy because investment needs to go up, because consumption needs to go up, because uh, otherwise there will be like um, risk to social stability. That's why, you know, they're doing a U-turn, right? So once that decision has been made to say that, okay, we are going to 
like uh, really support growth, support consumption, support investment, if that is the drive right now, if that's the mandate right now, it's very hard to just, you know, make make a to turn the other way quickly, right? So I, I assume that will be the theme for China for this year and the growth is going to outperform at least much better than compared to the previous, uh, um, you know, during the COVID uh, lockdown period. So what you see is uh, definitely a growth driver for China and for Asia. But secondly, it, you know, you if we are talking about like such a huge economy opens up and demand of that like Chinese economy opens up, that becomes a fresh inflation driver. Okay, so which I'm going to talk about because that that will affect the decisions of other central banks as well. Because actually, you've already seen you, you already started to see since November, actually since October, the China's like commodity index has been going up. And uh, on top of that, you know, over the COVID period, because people like spending has been suppressed and mobility has been suppressed. Chinese households have built up huge savings, right? So I think what we will, you know, likely to see is something that's actually similar to the U.S., even though, you know, where that saving come from is um, that is, is different. But remember for the U.S., once the COVID reopening starts, you have this huge spending surge, right? Because of the checks that have been given to the households over their COVID period that needed to be spent. Like people had no, like a, a fewer choices to spend them. But once the reopening started, people started spending money, right? So to kind of dissipate that excess savings. So if you look at the China's data, 2022, the household saving increase is like double the level of 2021, which is huge, right? So um, once that, if that spending power gets unleashed, you will see something like in the U.S., which is like uh, inflation going up driven by the demand factor, right? So just to refresh your memory, why did inflation going up? Why did inf inflation go up in the U.S.? It was like, you know, half of it is a, like a supply factor, you know, their oil price going up, food price going up with Russia, Ukraine, with uh, supply chain disruption. But the other half is the demand driver, right? Because the um, uh, economy was doing really well after reopening and uh, this huge pent up demand gets unleashed into the economy. So you see like the savings level in the economy is like a predictor, prediction factor in terms of how much of that spending demand is going to be unleashed in this uh, in the near term, right? So I think that's what that's what's going to happen with China is once like as the economy reopens, you will you're going to see like a lot more dynamism, you're going to see higher growth, but also pushes up commodity prices. And that's going to spill over into other economies because commodity market worldwide, right? So you've seen that, for example, oil prices have been tanking since like July, right, since middle of last year, because uh, it turned out that the supply constraint was not as severe as people originally Im imagined. The supply from Russia was actually not cut off as much as people imagined. On the other hand, economies like on the demand side, like economies uh, like worldwide have been sort of softening, right? So because the demand also respond to that pr price pressure. That's why people used to say like uh, in the commodity market, high price is the, the cure for high price is high price, right? Because uh, 
when prices goes high, it kind of suppresses the demand. So a composite of those factors, you've seen like over the past uh, half years, commodity like oil price, oil and gas prices have been um, coming down. But right now, you know, um, like beginning, at least uh, starting the beginning of this year, you've seen like oil price have stabilized at least, right? It's like going up a little bit. So we could be seeing a bottom for the oil market for the near term, at least, uh, you know, during this uh, China reopening process, because uh, that's going to, again, drive up the demand for commodities, right? So as a result, what you will see is, even though inflation is going down worldwide right now, because commodity prices are coming down, that's a huge part. And the other, uh, the other part is central banks are all very hawkish, right? So they, the monetary tightening on top of the commodity prices actually going down, it's like helping to drive down inflation. So the inflation prints in the US, for example, over the past, uh, um, you know, um, couple months have been lower. But the thing is, how low can it go in the short term if we see like commodity prices kind of supported by the fresh demand from China, which is going to be huge, keep in mind, okay? Then that means going forward, it's like much harder for inflation to further come down. Now you can argue economy is softening, okay? So in the US, you start to see signs of weaknesses. Like for example, this past quarter, um, so we are in the, like starting the earnings season for public companies, right? We are starting to see uh, companies start to report on the earnings and also a lot more earnings gonna be reported in this coming month. And you start to see like less performant uh, earnings report compared to the previous quarters. And you start to see like, yes, retail numbers, for example, retail sales is starting to soften. Soften does not mean recession, okay? <laughs> so there is a qualitative difference to that. But like all I can say is economy is softening. And also you, you hear like uh, tech companies cutting jobs like Google, like for example, this week announced they're going to cut like something like uh, uh, 12,000 jobs, right? So you, you start to see economy start to soften. So you may argue, okay, that's going to help inflation to start cooling down. But on the other hand, if commodity prices, oil and food prices refuse to go down more, that will make you know inflation uh, more likely to stay elevated, basically. So the bottom line is, I don't think inflation worldwide and in US in particular will come down as fast as some market participants may be assuming, okay? And keep in mind right now, even though inflation has been coming down in the US, it's still far, far away from the target range of the Federal Reserve, okay? So right now the, the Fed stance, monetary stance is to say they are going to keep raising at least uh, throughout 2023. Right now, the federal fund rate is about 4.1. Their target range, right now, they claim the target range is 5 to 5.5, right? So if you're, if we're talking about 5 and assuming they, if they raise like uh, uh, 25 basis points in every meeting going forward, 
that will take them till like uh, May, for example, to reach their target range, to, to get into their target range, right? And then what will happen after that? That's the question. It's like, what if inflation don't don't go down as fast, which I assume will be that that will be my baseline. Okay, so my baseline is inflation will tend to go down, but would not be fast. And we are still very far away from the target range. We, it, it's not fast. It will not be fast because of China. Um, this fresh demand pressure coming from China. Okay, so um, on the other hand, quantitative tightening is ongoing, it's not slowing down anytime soon. If you look at the federal balance sheet, it's just going down, okay? It's not decelerating at all, and they're very far away from their target ideal level of a government, like a security holdings of, of, uh, federal, um, of the Fed, okay? So my bottom line is inflation will not come down fast, and the tightening will continue but with a softer decelerating pace, okay? So by mid of the year, the Fed will have to reevaluate, okay, how bad the economy is doing. Um, if it's still doing okay, chugging along, unless it's like, uh, unless economy starts to drop like a stone, okay, which is not my baseline. If it's just the softening and softening and, you know, just the dripping down a little bit every quarter, it gets a little bit worse, it gets a little bit worse, it would not affect the Fed's decision to continue tightening because inflation is still the bigger concern right now, okay? So that would be my baseline is inflation will come down, but not fast for 2023. Tightening will continue, but decelerating, okay? Um, so, so that's the macro big picture. And next, I wanna talk about the crypto market, right? So the crypto market, you cannot look at it as a standalone thing because it's highly correlated with other risk assets. It's same, again, same bunch of investors, their portfolio rebalancing, there are you know sector rotation, crypto is just part of the portfolio, okay? So um, obviously crypto has been pumping over the past, since the beginning of the year, right? So, so the qu first question is, are we, is the bottom in? To that question, my baseline is likely. Actually, so so my baseline answer is to that question is yes. So if you look at like over the past year, we've had like a lot of bad news, so many bad news, right? So many negative shocks to crypto, but basically the market is um, hit a bottom, um, you know, somewhere like in June, and then again in September. Sorry in November over going over to beginning of this month. But it's holding at a level basically the, the the top of 2018, the top of the cycle before, right? And it doesn't want to go down basically at that level. So if we look ahead, it may not be, so I, I just don't see that additional like a severe negative shocks coming into this market that will push it even downer even lower than the level that we hit which is around like 800 billion market cap 750 
yeah, seven a little bit less than seven. Let's say like seven, seven twenty to seven fifty. That's the lower range that we put in, right? So unless something really, really extraordinary happens, I don't see there's a reason to go down even further than that level that already put in um, over the past uh, over the past month. So that's the though. So so that's my so that's number one. But does that mean that we're gonna have a bull market? Okay, I don't think so because again, you have to look at in conjunction with the macro big picture, right? So, what will be the conductive environment for a kind of risk asset bull run to happen? Is if the central banks start to pivot, right? If the central banks start to revert its monetary stance. Are they gonna revert anytime soon? I don't think so for the reasons we already talked about in the first 10 minutes of this podcast, okay? So we are still in a tightening environment. Is the Fed supporting the market? No, okay? So if you look at stock market, right? You look at, at you know, um, uh, S&P and NASDAQ, for example, um, we put in the bottom like uh, end of uh, middle of October, which we talked extensively about, right? But after that, it's basically been just range bound. Is there a specific, is there like a very strong impulse to for up move? I don't see that happening. Okay. So um, then why is crypto market pumping so much? Again, you know, you the crypto market is worldwide. So it is associated with other risk assets. You, you know, uh, you, 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 you don't just, uh, you know, see the, uh, it's not just related to the S and P, right? It's not just related to the U S stock market. It's also to other regions as well. And as we talked about, especially, you know, if you look at, um, performance of stock market worldwide, the U S market is actually performing kind of really mediocrely compared to places in Asia. For example, Hong Kong, China, Philippines, Vietnam even. Um, if you look at, I just uh, actually look at this today, all right. The best performing mar stock market since 2023 is Vietnam, okay. And then it's the Hansen index of Hong Kong. And then it's, uh, what is that? Mm. And then it's like a, a bunch of Chinese indices. And then there are like Mexico and Germany, some like Europe, like indices. So the bottom line is you see all these other markets are performing really well. And that spills over into crypto as well. Okay. Because, you know, outside of us, Asia is like the biggest backholder base <laughs> for crypto. Okay. So if Asia market for risk assets is doing very well, it's, um, it's good news for crypto market as well. But is that going to last? Okay. If you look at, for example, um, I'm just pulling up like a Shanghai stock index. Okay. So it's been pumping pretty hard since the beginning of this year. But this is, a, but again, it's like on the fresh news, on the fresh impulse of China economic reopening. Okay. 
but this market has essentially range bound since like 2019. Okay, actually, even earlier, even earlier, probably like starting 2016, 2017, it's pretty much range bound. Okay, so we are at a level that's pretty much at the high, a, a little bit lower than the high of 2019. Okay, so, um, how <laughs> basically I, I think you get my drift right so basically this market is still i'm talking about the chinese market okay it's still a range bound market i don't see like there's a really special re it's just like right, right now it's just bouncing back okay um that's that's all <laughs> it's not like uh it, it it's not like a going going uh into a blue sky, um, super bullish kind of scenario. Okay. So, um, and given the macro backdrop, um, my baseline is we are, yes, we, the bottom is probably in, in the crypto market. And yes, there will be, you know, pumps. There will be like uh, periods of, uh, um, price surges, like, sometimes pretty crazy like you've seen in the past a couple weeks and there will be multiple attempts to break through to the upside but many of those moves will be faded essentially at some point don't ask me at what point okay so but that like uh, if we, if i look at like macro big picture i assume like my baseline is this market essentially will be better for sure compared to 2022. And we probably likely have seen the bottom, but we will probably go through a lot of these uh, like uh, up and down, up and down range bound, these uh, cycles, multiple attempts to break to the upside. And with some kind of like with multiple big surges to the upside, but eventually will be faded. Why? Because we are still in a tightening environment and the macro environment, the monetary policy environment is remaining hostile to risk assets. Okay. So that is, um, so that is essentially my outlook to the crypto market. By the way, I started getting long into crypto again, starting actually January 8th. Um, so the second week of January, I started getting back into the market again for the majority part of last year, I was out and was only doing some, um, you know, swing trading. So, so basically, you know, that is, uh, something to consider. Okay. Um, and thirdly, I want to talk about investment themes. So if you're considering, okay, what kind of things to buy <laughs> if you are if you, if you are um intending to go long in the crypto market and actually in any market okay because these are like what i see is general principles that apply universally to most markets because okay? these you know just a you see them play out again and again in different types of market. So um, a few ideas, okay? A few kind of general principles. Number one is 
you I would I the number one thing I want I want to look at are beaten down names with good traction. So this is something that you see in the stock markets like again and again. Um different market phase, different market periods, different type of investors make money. Okay. So when the market just starts recovering from like a really deep bear market, the kind of turnaround scenarios, they pump the hardest. Okay. That's, that's when the Howard Marks of the world who specialize in like a turnaround, like distressed assets, they make the most money. Okay. Um, I found this on the web. Oh no, there's like uh, my um, Apple watch starts talking to me for some reason. <laughs> so, uh, so, so basically when we just uh, first came out of the bear market, that kind of distressed assets performed the best because they've been really, really oversold, being down so much. Uh, as long as they don't die, they tend to pump up the most okay, at this uh, initial market recovery stage. And then as you go into sort of a normal uh, uptrend market, like a normal bull market, so to speak, that's that's when the kind of uh, uh, you know trend followers, the, the kind of uh, William O'Neill type of people start to make money, <laughs> okay? Because um, they they kind of sort of in between of growth and value investing, okay? And then if we are in a really supportive macro environment with like uh, central banks monetary easing really supporting risk assets. That's when you tend to see the ARK investing, the, the, the Kathy Wood type of people start to make a lot of money because those like growth names um, will benefit the most from any kind of interest rate drops or, you know, quantitative easing scenario. Okay. So um, bottom line is uh, every type of investor can make money, but it depends on what kind of market envir environment that you are in, right? So as we just come out of this bear market, um, so that's why the number one thing I would, I would be interested in looking into is being down names. I will look at like uh, what kind of, uh, which tokens have, have gone down the most really in the past year relative to their actual traction. So, so the second point is important, okay? Because, <laughs> because uh, a lot of times they go down so much for valid reason because the project is dying. Okay. So, but a lot of times, you know, the, the project traction is fine. It's really, you know, that price drop is um, kind of just overdone, right? So prominent example, which I wrote about in like uh, a few weeks ago, uh, in one of my like blog articles, prominent example, Solana, okay. Um, really became a casualty of uh, um, the whole FTX saga, right? So that price went down so much because of the liquidation pressure, because of people so afraid that like Solana is gonna die, right? But if you spend some time in the Solana ecosystem, you know, the, you know, yeah, projects uh, die, some projects died, some projects left, but if you look at the actual data of uh, activities on chain, 
it's still one of the most active Web3 ecosystems. Okay. So that's so that's what I mean. You gotta see like what kind of names that dropped so much, but relatively speaking, their actual traction does did not drop nearly as much, right? So that's kind of the turnaround scenario. Number one. Number two, it's kind of um, this is kind of a um, related idea, but it, like to a more modest extent, I would say, which is. Uh, you can you can use especially for these uh, um, blockchain platforms, layer one, layer two chains, with obvious like a network driven type of ecosystem. You can use my um, Web three platform valuation model, right, to look at how much historically investors have been valuing this platform compared to where it is in its price level, right. So like uh, you can. You know, you can like uh, pay special attention to those that showing like a uh, current market cap is much lower. I would say at least a uh, twenty, thirty percent lower compared to where the price is currently. Okay. So I also listed some names in my original article. You can go check it out. <laughs> okay. And so that that's number two. Number three. Newer names, new names, smaller caps that have traction. Why do you focus on those? Because they do not have a price baseline. <laughs> you know, um, the older tokens, or you see the same thing in the stock market, right? If the if a stock is going to like a um, is going to be pumped hugely. What when when does it tend to ha happen? It tend to happen in the first, you know, two to five years after IPO. Okay, so for multiple reasons. Okay, but what one of the reasons is just like from a supply demand point of view because it has less baggage. Okay, has less baggage. You do not have bunch of people, um, bag holders. That has you know that have held the token for like two plus years, and now they are down bad, and the price started pumping. They're like, oh, thank God, I can get out break even now. You don't have that bu a bunch of that kind of people creating sell pressure, right? So, you know, those technical analysis people will be all over this kind of thing. <laughs> Okay. But it's like a general principle, very easy to understand. If you have a long history, you have a lot of, you know, holders, and they're looking to get out at some point if they're at loss, <laughs> right? And that is going to constantly creating pressure for the token price to go up. Um, and this, this, again, general principle applies to multiple markets. So with newer names, you don't have that problem, right? So especially for this like a crypto market or also growth stocks, it's like a, the thing, the price, the valuation is predominantly running on narrative. It's running on market expectation of how much this thing can possibly grow in the next five years, right? It's not like market because it's not because it's it's not like these are profitable businesses. 
This is not like a Berkshire Hathaway. It's not like people are calculating, okay, how much cash flow does business have, and、uh, what does that translate into in terms of, you know, valuation and prices. That is more that kind of mentality and perspective is more suitable when you are evaluating a stabilized going concern, a stabilized business. But for this type of scenario in crypto and growth stocks. That perspective is just not that helpful. Okay, you don't have to agree with me. By the way,、uh, if any of what I said push your buttons,、uh, no need to fight back. Okay, I just like don't have freaking time to argue with people. It's a free world. Your money, you, you, it's your control. Okay, if you don't agree with me, just don't agree with me. Then、uh, I don't have any problem with that. Okay, um, so. So 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 that's the number three. It's newer names, smaller caps. Why smaller caps? Again, it's like really obvious, right? Is it is it easier for like a five hundred billion market cap company, five hundred billion name to go to one trillion, so double to one trillion, or is it easier for five hundred million market cap name? To double to one billion, which one is easier? Okay, so for in in order for a five hundred billion market cap to go to one trillion, a whole lot more liquidity needs to go into it compared to the you know smaller cap scenario that wants that that tries to double to one billion. Okay, and there are only about there there are a handful of companies in the world that has one trillion market cap right now. Okay. A handful of companies in the world, so、um, it's just something to think about. All right. So if you know nothing about any companies or any ticker ticker names, any tokens at all, that's just like a very general statistical principle. It just it's easier for smaller cap to grow. Okay, provided that the thing can survive and continue to get traction. Um. So, but but you know, there's obviously caveat to that. Don't just like don't don't hear about this and then go find the smallest cap in crypto. Okay, <laughs> that's not what I'm saying. You've got a high. You still need to find like、uh, names that have like、uh, actual trading, have actual liquidity, right? If if the if the name if the ticker only trades like a thousand volume. A day, does that price really mean anything at all? <laughs> I, so, um, so so you've got to have to find some kind of、uh, golden mean for yourself that you feel comfortable with, right? Depending on how much capital you have to you have to deploy. Um, so basically, you know, I would look at you know basically these three things. It's like beaten down names that have. Decent traction. That's still like growing through throughout the bear market, or at least not the tra traction-wise, not down nearly as much compared to how much the price is down. Okay.、Um, secondly, just like undervalued platforms relative to their、um, like、uh, their historical valuation, but still, all of those depends on the projects actually have good traction. Okay, they're actually holding up and not dying. Um, and thirdly, newer names, newer names, smaller caps, that 
are growing and shows traction. So if you look at, okay, you don't have to believe me, all right? You can just go to, uh, you know, like uh, any platform with uh, like um, prices listed, you can go see the past, the past month, for example, while crypto market have been on the uptrend, which tokens have been pumping the hardest? You can go see for yourself, okay? So um, if I go, so I'm go, I, like, so if I go to CoinGecko, I look at like top gainers and losers. So if I choose like past 30 days among the top 300 market cap tokens, because you don't want to go like too low in terms of liquidity because the price start to be less and less meaningful, okay? So let's just say the past 30 days, which tokens among the top 300 market cap have been growing the most? You see, okay, I'll read you the, I'll read you the names, okay? Orb City, Singularity Net, Aptos, Fetch AI, Serum, Gala, Plex, Lido, Decentraland, Optimism, FraxShare, Multichain, Curve, uh, Lido staked Solana, Marinade staked Solana, Solana Link, Ocean, Magic, Near, Phantom, Sandbox, Terra, Stargate, Filecoin. Do you notice any commonality there? <laughs> I mean, you can look at this list yourself, okay? For example, Aptos. Why is that, you know, like new new chain, right? Just a come just came out in the like uh, past year um price history started like in september or so right so right now it's like a price is uh back to the um back to the um, top level when it first started listing on exchanges so again newer names have no baggage all right i don't know what I don't know where Aptos is going to go in the long term. Don't don't ask me, okay? I don't have special affiliation or specialty knowledge about Aptos, but I'm just telling you a general principle. It's a network-driven kind of business. The narrative for this type of net network-driven ecosystem is like uh, it has the potential to go exponential, right? And it definitely has some traction, you know? People are building on it. How many people? I don't know. Uh, some people hated it because it's like a VC-backed story. Some people in crypto just hate that for whatever reason, right? Um, but I just encourage you to be less as, as uh, you know, uh, try try not, not to be ideological about these things, okay? <laughs> but the biggest thing is it's got no baggage, okay? It's a fresh name. Um, so what else? Serum. Obviously, you know, related to the whole FTX thing, the things has down so much, right? Past year down like 82%. Um, Gala, same thing. Um, down huge in the past year. 77% um, down in the past year, okay? Now it's like pumping 160% in the past 30 days. Um, Optimism again, new, right? It's new. It's like a new thing. It's like when did it like come? When did it came out? Like middle of last year, all right. 
Now the price is like、uh, going above the previous high in August. It's like this type of scenario. Again, I don't know how. I don't know anything about optimism. Okay, <laughs> so you can you can go calculate. You can go look into. Okay, how much、uh, the traction is having? You know, it's an ETL too. Obviously, it's gonna you piggyback on Ethereum. So the the advantage about these ETL too is、uh, it's gonna grow faster than Ethereum, but it's also relying on Ethereum's ecosystem. There's a ready liquidity pool and ready customer base and ready eyeballs because of Ethereum, right? So so it's in the Ethereum system, but it's gonna grow faster than Ethereum because it's small. So. <laughs> Uh, but on the other hand, it's gonna be、uh, it 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 will have competition because there are lots of L twos, and there will be more and more of them, right? So you can evaluate those factors. But the thing is, but the really obvious thing is, it it's new, it doesn't have baggage, okay? Um, and then what else? Um, you look at like Solana. Obviously, we already talked about um last year down seventy seven percent in one year. Last thirty days, one hundred and thirteen percent up. Okay, why? Beating down names hugely, but traction is still decent. It's not dying. Okay, so um, you can go look at the others and judge for yourself. What type of tokens started pumping the most? Um, when market, when market trend starts to turn. All right. So uh, again, not investment advice. Go do your own research and make your own judgment. Okay. Um. Okay. That's all for now. I will talk to you next time.